Dr. Christine Weckerly's work focuses on supporting survivors of childhood trauma, and today we're talking about interventions, inventions, and apps to help build skills and resilience among those affected. Christine, hello. Hey, how's it going? I'm very well, thanks, and thank you for joining us today. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and your area of expertise? Thank you so much for having me, Will. My research is been going on for the past number of decades in the area of adverse childhood experiences or ACEs and adolescent health, uh, mental wellness, and resilience. I am editor-in-chief of the International Journal Child Abuse and Neglect and have done intervention development, epidemiological type studies, and trauma-informed work, uh, predominantly with uh, youth who have experienced um, some form of child maltreatment or maybe in a care system like the child welfare system. We can anticipate that if you've had experiences of child maltreatment, whether that's child sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, or physical or emotional neglect, that those experiences may impact your development uh, over time. And particularly what we have found in research was that it challenges relationships. And we started in with this on the topic of adolescent dating violence. And we were finding that a key mediator between the historical maltreatment and the adolescent romantic relationships, either using violence behaviors, pushing, shoving, not getting consent for romantic actions, either as a victim or perpetrator of these actions, that uh, trauma symptomatology was an important mediator of that. And that when we developed this intervention for dating relationships called the Youth Relationships Project, one of the outcomes, even though we were focusing on skills, is that trauma symptoms reduced. So that earlier work gave us the clues that one really needs to pay attention to the bridge factors between a childhood experience and adolescent experiences. And while maltreatment experiences may stop in childhood, they continue to live on in experiencing trauma symptoms. And that has clear implications on what a youth does to manage those symptoms. We did a study, a follow-up study with adolescents who were on the active caseloads of child welfare in the ages of 14 to 16, and we asked a number of questions. And this study is called the Maltreatment in Adolescent Pathway Study, or MAP study. It was Canada's first study with a large group. We enrolled 561 youth in the study to follow them a couple of years. And what we found was that in this MAP study, the youth were telling us, and when we looked in the analyses, 
that they were drinking to cope with negative affect. That means that they're engaging in the risk behaviors because of their high degree of negative emotionality and their challenges in managing or modulating that emotionality. We also found that not only were they using substances to cope, but that they were engaging in risky sexual practices. When we looked at sex differences, while males and females who had maltreatment experiences were drinking to cope to relieve the negative emotions, this seemed to apply a little bit more to females than males, whereas the sexual risk-taking applied more to males than females. So there may be sex-specific manifestations of unhealthful coping. Are there any ways in which families and peer support networks can help support those exhibiting these kinds of behaviours? That wasn't part of the research study, but from a clinical perspective, having my PhD in clinical psychology with a specialization in youth, uh, from a clinical perspective, we would say that, you know, prevention and health promotion is where we want to focus. We know adolescents normatively will be risk-taking. They're supposed to be risk-taking. That's how they try on different hats and can refine their behaviors and their responsibilities. What we would as parents suggest is that you approach your youth, whether you're a foster care provider or a parent, to discuss in advance the issues around sexual health and using substances. So I'm a mom of three boys. And when my boys were young, maybe 13-ish, they were starting to go to parties and they we have a open relationship that they would respond. If I said, will there be alcohol there? They would respond in the affirmative. And I could respond saying, you know, I know adolescents try things out. How about we think about how much alcohol do you think you can handle? And they gave a number of beer cans that was so far in excess of what they thought would get them tipsy would have gotten them annihilated. <laughs> and and you know, I was with their dad. And was, this is my experience with the number of beer cans. And this is his experience with the number of beer cans. And if you want to challenge this, like, you know, let's be a scientist and let's sit down with a bunch of beer cans and see, you know, are, is your estimate going to be right? Or is what we're telling you from experiences might be closer to the point. And so they, they they denied that challenge, but it did help them really rethink what it meant to, you know, how many you could actually safely drink and what are the issues around why would you drink? The motives for drinking, you know, most people say is for enhancement motives. The average teen is like, I, I want to get a buzz. I want It's an enhancement motive or, um, you know, I'm more comfortable around other people, social um, motives. But this helped them to sort of think about, as I, I would say to my teens, I've had, raised five kids, and I would say, at one point in the drinking, is it no longer fun if that's why you're drinking? If you're hanging over, you know, that circular bit of furniture, it's probably not feeling fun then. If you're blacked out, it's not fun. And uh, one of my sons had a, at this point really hit home because his um, date 
drank every type of liquor that was available and he uh, he needed to get a ride out of the party and I required that he bring her to the van himself which he had to carry her and he was like at some distance so it was like this is zero fun for me right now <laughs> um, so you know parents and caregivers can use like work in with the natural experiences or natural events and natural consequences. For youth in systems, what's helpful for the practitioner is to actually measure trauma symptoms. And this is not measured in a standard way. There is a wave towards measuring ACEs in screening, the adverse childhood experiences, but it's those are the historical events. What you really need to pay attention to is what are the active, that active bridge, you know, that emotional bridge that I mentioned before. And there's so much, once you know there's trauma symptoms that can be done. For instance, we've done research with child welfare youth and found that indeed male youth had a little higher scores on a self-compassion scale. What we also found is that self-compassion is really an important counter to um, these risk-taking behaviors, drinking to cope. So self-compassion is something that can be practiced. It can be like defined and understood. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of availability of interventions that use that. So that's a really important strategy, I feel. Could these findings be useful for coming up with care guidelines or informing policy? Uh, well, I think they are really informative in terms of uh, science-based policy decisions. I think because, for instance, in child welfare or mental health systems, they're very focused on symptoms. One of the things we need to push more into policy is a focus on resilience so that we're not just targeting depression or anxiety or problems with anger that we're targeting mental health habits that galvanize a youth survivor's resilience on a day-to-day basis. And we've taken that up in our work and created some really interesting interventions. There is a two-session program called Preventure in school or in group or individually specifically designed to address drinking and substance use with adolescents. And this program has had a number of research trials. It's been in Australia, it's been in the Netherlands, it's been in the UK, and it has shown lasting effects with just two sessions of cognitive behavioral type manualized intervention to reduce drinking alcohol that is sustained over three years. The timing is important, so you're delivering this to early adolescents The strategy is important because it is matched to personality vulnerabilities. So youth are screened first on a personality questionnaire, and the vulnerabilities are kind of a chronic sense and expectation of hopelessness. So it's called hopelessness. Uh, A tendency towards going for the buzz factor all the time, which is called sensation seeking. Um, Challenges in acting before really thinking which is called impulsivity. And one that people may not be very aware of is being very fearful of the sensations of anxiety. So the heart racing 
or butterflies in the stomach, um, these kinds of things. And it's called anxiety sensitivity. So it's a fear of anxious feelings. And uh, you might expect that that is more relevant to youth who've had very traumatic experiences. By matching the intervention to the personality vulnerability, they've had these really great successes. And in our research with trauma-experienced youth, there has been an adaptation called WellVenture. This work is all done out of McGill with Dr. Patricia Conrad in uh, Montreal Hospital settings and uh, Dr. Sherry Stewart from Dalhousie and Dr. Hanya Adelati, uh, who's currently with the Canadian Center uh, for Substance Abuse. There's a number of other researchers, but they're the key ones. And Dr. Edlati and Dr. Conrad have been working with Montreal area child welfare agencies to implement this brief intervention and have received encouraging results and are looking to advance that. So this prevention program, the, the trauma Adaptation Well Venture is one of the interesting interventions to come from our Canadian Institute of Health Research, Institute of Gender and Health funded team grants. Another intervention that has been developed and is related to this team grant is led by Dr. Paul Fruin, and it's looking at VR type intervention. So that it's really based on mindfulness meditation, but it's being delivered in a virtual reality context. And there are some publications out on that. And again, that looks to be meritorious for moving forward. As we can imagine, youth in care situations, they have a lot of variability to their lives. They may change residence often. They may change schools. They have to meet with their caseworkers in a mandated fashion every 90 days in Ontario. So there's a lot of things going on. So what was really helpful if they had something that was easy to access and ready at hand. So we developed a mobile app called JoyPop, and that's available Audience members might like to check out youthresilience.net website to learn a bit more about that. And it's a great additive element to focus on positivity, positive activities, and evidence-based activities for trauma. So it's a trauma-informed app based on research. And our preliminary research that has been conducted with first-year collegiates who have made the transition to college and um, actually do have a surprisingly high number of ACEs, even though we think of collegiates as being maybe a more resilient population. In our study, 80% had at least one out of the 10 ACEs, and a quarter to a third exceeded the what's considered a cutoff for ACEs and in increasing the likelihood of various negative outcomes, which is four out of the 10 or more. So we did work with the university population and found that it did indeed increase positive emotion regulation and decrease depression and anxiety scores. 
and that we saw that with two weeks of use of the app, as well as continued improvement at four weeks. And um, this research we hope to see out in press very soon, but it gave us a lot of encouragement that something like a mobile app is not only not doing harm, but seems to have some positive benefits as well. And that's an area of research that we are continuing with. The JoyPop app is designed for youth and young adults who want to build resilience. It's going to be very relevant for those who are struggling with some mental health issues or have experienced trauma events, that this will help to build a daily resilience practice. It gives some very short strategic tools and instruction, a lot of opportunities, and helps to especially focus on positives because when you're having a stressful day, your attention gets more tunnel visioned and you have this mood congruent way of seeing things. You may notice the negatives more. So it's important to put a little bit of effort onto the positives, that idea of stop and smell the roses. But here in Joy Pop, we have evidence-based strategies to use. <music>